Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. And several weeks ago, we started a series of messages that we're calling Against the Odds. And we're talking about how we can have the faith to move forward, even when the odds are against us. And so when life circumstances are not favorable, and when we are encountering opposition, how can we respond and how can we have faith in spite of those circumstances? And we're using the life of an Old Testament king that's often not talked about. His name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the king of Judah. And we're learning from his life. And today we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 19. If you're there, would you say amen? 2 Kings 19. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready today. We will refer back to these verses often. But we're going to start reading for our scripture reading time in verse number 14, where the Bible says this, and Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Do you believe that this morning? Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Just by way of review, Sennacherib is an evil, wicked king of the opposing nation of Assyria that was surrounding Judah and Hezekiah at this time to attack them. So Hezekiah is praying to the Lord, and he mentions Sennacherib, this wicked king. Verse number 17. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Today, for a few minutes, I'd like to speak to this subject. You've got mail. Everybody turn to your neighbor and tell them, you've got mail. Let's have a word of prayer today, and we'll dive into the text this morning. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you that we can come together and worship you and lift high your name. God, we acknowledge and declare that you alone are worthy that it's not about us, it's not about man's opinions or preferences or ideologies or philosophies, but it is about the unchanging truth of your word. And Lord, I pray that as we look to your word today, that we would have hearts that are ready to receive that which you have for us, and we can apply these truths to our lives. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said this morning, when my wife Katie and I, when we first started dating, uh, we met at Bible College, and during the summer, she would travel back to Washington State, where she's from, and I would stay here in California, and sometimes we would write each other handwritten letters, and uh, we would text and call, but there's something special about receiving or writing a handwritten letter. How many of you are still fans of handwritten letters? Anybody like that? Um, 
our society in large part has kind of lost this art form of a handwritten letter. And, uh, and uh, we would write each other these letters. And I remember one day I wrote her this long letter. And uh, I thought that it would be a good idea to take some of my cologne and spray it on that letter. And uh, I wore cologne in college. And I thought, this is going to be very romantic. And so I took that cologne. I think it was Agua de Gio. <laughs> and I took it. And I sprayed, I sprayed that letter, but I was a little too close to the letter, and so I smeared all the ink in the middle of the letter. But I had already written the whole thing, and I was like, I'm not going to write it again. So I just thought she's going to have to guess whatever it says right there in the middle. And uh, we would write each other letters. It was fun to do that. I remember when I was in college, I also went to the Philippines uh, for 30 days. And I thought that it would be romantic to write Katie a letter for every day that I was in the Philippines uh, in advance. And so I wrote 30 letters, and she could open one every day. Come on, do I get any, like, bonus points for that today? Thank you so much. And, uh, and uh, there's something special about a handwritten letter. Uh, uh, even in our culture today, many companies know this when it comes to marketing. That's why when you check the mail, sometimes you'll uh, get an envelope that has uh, a handwritten font because studies have shown we're more likely to open something if we think that it's handwritten. How many of you have ever opened one of those and you realized it was a bill and you were disappointed? Like, thank you so much for that. Uh, my children, they love to check the mail. And uh, sometimes we'll go on family walks and we'll go to check the mail. And they're always excited to check the mail because they're always hopeful that they're going to receive something in the mail. Now, they never do, but they always think that maybe there's the chance that they're going to receive something uh, in the mail. So they always want to go and check it. You know, as you get older, uh, you don't look forward to checking the mail anymore, right? And uh, we just know that there's going to be bills and coupons and advertisements. And I think I get, a, I think I get an envelope and a letter from Spectrum Cable once a week saying that there's a limited time offer. And the question is, how often can there possibly be a limited time offer? How long does that last? It never goes away. And uh, we can get bills and we can get uh, things that sometimes are bad news. Uh, how many of you have ever received a bill in the mail that was unexpected and it was unfortunate, right? And uh, we can receive uh, all kinds of things in the mail that are not, that are not friendly, that are not uh, good news. And, you know, one day, in 2 Kings, I have so much mail up here, I can't even get this. Uh, one day in 2 Kings chapter 19, Hezekiah the king, he goes and he, he checks the mail. And when he goes and he checks the mail, uh, he receives a letter. And the letter is from this evil, wicked king, Sennacherib. And he is the king that is of Assyria that is currently surrounding the fenced cities of Judah. And he sends this letter to Hezekiah. And this letter was bad news. It was not good news. It was threatening it was blasphemous, it was intimidating, it was not good news. And Hezekiah receives this letter and it's just heartbreaking and it's not good news what he receives. You know, the truth is, nobody in life likes to be the recipient of bad news. Whatever that bad news might be, nobody likes to hear that uh, bad news, whether it's a bad test result from the doctor, whether it's a poor performance review, whether it's uh, losing a loved one or a relationship that is struggling and you receive uh, news to that end. Nobody likes to receive bad news. It reminds me of the father in the New Testament of the daughter of a 12-year-old that was sick. His name was Jairus. The Bible tells us that he was the ruler of the synagogue. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my daughter is sick. My daughter that I love, she's, she's not healthy. She's, she's sick. And will you please come and heal her? And Jesus uh, agrees in his compassion to go and to heal his daughter. And so Jairus, you can imagine, as a father, was elated. Jesus is now coming with me. There's hope for my daughter. And so they're traveling on their way to Jairus' house. But if you know the story, you know there's an interruption to the story. 
There's a woman, the Bible says, with an issue of blood for 12 years, and she comes, and, and she is desperate for healing herself. And so uh, she thinks in her mind, I don't even need to have a conversation with Jesus, but if I can just touch him, if I can just touch him. And so she goes, and she touches the hem of his garment. And the Bible says the virtue, the power went out of Jesus and healed that woman with the issue of blood. And Jesus turns to her, and he says, uh, who touched me? And they have this conversation, and now Jesus is dealing with this woman with the issue of blood. But you know who's standing in the background? was Jairus. And he's thinking, this is great and all, but my daughter's sick. And Jesus, I'm so glad that you have compassion for her, but Jesus, this is taking a long time and we need to get back to my daughter. And then while they're waiting, while this interruption is taking place, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, gets the worst news possible. They come to him, they say, Jairus, while we're waiting and while you've been uh, traveling back to your house, your daughter died. And Jairus is processing this news, and he's overwhelmed. He's the recipient of this terrible news. His daughter had just died. But notice how Jesus responds to him. I want to read from Mark chapter 5, verse number 35, where it says this. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Devastating. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And so he says, Jairus, I know this is painful news. I know this is devastating. I know this is overwhelming. I know this is the worst news that you could have possibly received. But be not afraid, only believe. Can I tell you that as a follower of Jesus, the only appropriate response to bad news in our lives is faith. Is to walk not by sight, but by faith, trusting in the Lord. And we come to this passage in 2 Kings chapter 19 where Hezekiah is the recipient of some very bad news, but he shows us a template of how we can respond to adversity and how we can walk by faith. Now, Hezekiah in chapter 18 was already overwhelmed. If you remember, if you were here last week, there was a man named Rabshakeh. How many of you remember Rabshakeh from last week, right? Uh, Rabshakeh was this character that had a way with words, and he was a spokesperson, spokesperson for Assyria. And he came and he delivered all of these uh, fancy words and speeches in an attempt to intimidate Hezekiah. And after Hezekiah receives that message, and after he hears Rabshakeh, the Bible says that he tears his clothes, which was a sign of mourning, that he is praying, that he's overwhelmed. And just to give you a little bit of insight uh, as to what Hezekiah was feeling uh, in this moment, I want you to see verse number three. Do you have your Bible open and ready today? Notice verse number three. This gives us a little insight as to the emotion of Hezekiah in this moment. Verse number three. And they said unto him. Now, who are they talking to? These were messengers from Hezekiah. And they were speaking to Hezekiah's friend who happened to be God's prophet. His name was Isaiah. And so I love what Hezekiah does here. He's overwhelmed because the enemy has him surrounded. And he sends a message to his friend Isaiah. And he says, man, I need some help. Uh, I need the word of the Lord. Will you uh, help me uh, and encourage me in this? And he, so he's talking to Isaiah, verse 3. Thus saith Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. 
And so this gives us an insight as to how Hezekiah was thinking and how he was feeling. Uh, the word picture that he gives is that of a woman that is delivering a baby. And she is in a long, hard delivery. And uh, this was an exhausting uh, delivery process. And she had no strength. She came to the end had no strength to actually deliver the baby. Now, in ancient culture, this was very dangerous. In fact, if the woman came to the end of the delivery and she didn't have strength, she would die. And so Hezekiah was saying, I am at the point of my wit's end. I have no strength. I just feel like I can't even move forward uh, in this moment. This is the prayer. This is the, uh, the message that he's sending to Isaiah. I don't have any strength left. You ever been there in your life? Where you just felt like, man, I don't know if I have the strength to move forward. I don't know if I have uh, the power to keep on going. I just don't know if I have it in me. Hezekiah is already overwhelmed. He's already exhausted. He feels as though he has no strength. And then, on top of all that, one day he receives this letter. He's just waiting for the attack. And then he receives this letter from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And he was already overwhelmed, and the contents of this letter were even more discouraging. And uh, these things were even more uh, detrimental to his thinking. And I want you to see uh, what this letter says that Sennacherib sent to Hezekiah by way of introduction today. Uh, do you want to know what the letter said? Yep. Notice uh, in your Bible, it starts in verse number 10. Here's what the letter says. Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying... Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee. And so the very first thing that the letter says is you can't trust the person of God. Hezekiah, don't even for a second think that uh, your God is going to deliver you. You can't trust in him. Keep reading, and it says, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. And so there's a twofold attack in verse number 10 at the beginning of this letter. And that is that you cannot trust the person of God and you cannot trust the promises of God. You cannot trust who God is and you cannot trust what God says. This is the letter that Sennacherib, this evil king, sends to Hezekiah. You can't trust your God. Uh, you can't trust what he says. By the way, we saw this last week. Uh, last week, these are the same lies the culture, uh, the enemy tells us today, that we can't trust who God is and we can't trust uh, what his word says. Notice verse number 11. This letter continues. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? And so Sennacherib here is really flexing. He's really boasting, and he's saying, hey, we've already destroyed all these other uh, nations, and you think you're going to be the exception to the rule? Uh, you think that you're going to be able to get victory? Uh, you think that you are going to be successful? This is the lie that the enemy will tell us uh, on, a, on a frequent basis. Uh, you think you're going to be able to get victory over that temptation? Uh, you think that you're going to be able to get victory in your relationship after you messed up and after you did that? Uh, you think you're going to be the exception to the rule? You think you're going to get victory? Sennacherib is, uh, uh, is touting this, and it's almost laughable to Sennacherib. He thinks he can be delivered. Notice verse number 12. Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed? As Gozen and Haran and Rezeph and the children of Eden, which were in uh, Thelassar, he's saying, I've defeated all of the gods of the other nations. And then in verse number 13, he says, where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? And he, he goes on to say, I've destroyed all these kings. And so here is Sennacherib. He's flexing his track record. He's saying, I've defeated all 
nations, I've defeated other gods, and I've defeated other kings. And he was very proud of his impressive resume and his track record. It reminds me of, uh, there's a boxer named Floyd Mayweather, and uh, he has a very impressive resume and his track record. His record as a boxer, a professional boxer, is 50 and 0. He's won 50 times, 27 knockouts, and he hasn't lost. And so he has a whole merchandise line, and uh, he's very proud of his record. I'm 50 and 0, I'm undefeated, and he's proud of that. And this is what Sennacherib is saying to Hezekiah. I'm undefeated. I've never lost a battle. What makes you think you are going to get victory over me? And so this is the letter that Hezekiah is receiving. And the question is, how will he respond? How is he going to respond to this bad news? And the question for us today is, how do we respond to bad news? How do we respond when adversity arrives? When, when adversity shows up at our doorstep, how will we respond? And what I want to do today is, if you're taking notes, I want to give us a few ways that we can respond when adversity arrives. Would that be okay this morning with everyone at the 10 o'clock service? How will we respond when adversity arrives? Uh, number one is this. We have to turn to the Lord. We have to turn to the Lord. I want you to see uh, what happens in verse number 14 of our text. If you're with me today, would you say amen? amen? Verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And so Hezekiah reads this, and the first thing that he does is he turns to the Lord, and he goes to the house of the Lord. The very first thing that he does is make a beeline to the house of the Lord. Now, this might seem obvious to us, but this is something that Hezekiah in his past didn't always do. In fact, in the past when adversity arrived, Hezekiah, he turned to his alliances, he turned to Egypt and thought, man, uh, I'm overwhelmed. I need to get some friendships. I need to get uh, Egypt on my side. And so in the past, he turned to alliances. Then he turned to money. Remember, he thought, if I can just pay a tribute to the king of Assyria, then maybe he won't attack me, and maybe he'll uh, just accept this gift of money. And he tried to do that, and it didn't work. And so he turned to money. He turned to alliances. He turned to his own intuition. He thought, man, I'll just try this plan. And he trusted in himself, and, and that didn't work. And so he turned to all different things. But here... He decides to turn to the Lord. Can I tell you that in a moment of crisis, where you run will ultimately define you. Where you turn when life gets difficult. Where you run when adversity arrives will ultimately define you. I saw this video recently where uh, there were these people eating in a restaurant in Brazil, and it was this kind of outdoor patio setting, and uh, there were some CrossFit runners that were just kind of running through, and they were running on the sidewalk. Well, the people sitting in the restaurant didn't know that they were CrossFit runners. They didn't know what they were doing, and so they just thought they were running from something, and they all got kind of scared, and they got up, and they started to run with them, and uh, I brought the video for us this morning to check out. People are falling over. They are nervous. They're not even sure what they're running from or where they're running to, but they are running. They are on the run. You know, the tragic truth is many times even followers of Jesus, they live their lives on the run. They're not really even sure where they're running to or what they're running from. All they know is they were frightened. They felt a little bit of discomfort, and they can't stay here, and so they're living life on the run. But can I tell you that in a moment of adversity, uh, you can live your life on the run, 
or you can live your life resting in the arms of your heavenly father that loves you and has good plans for you. And here what Hezekiah does in this moment of adversity is he runs to the house of the Lord. You know something that I've observed in my life is that often when people are struggling, when they are hurting, the last thing that they want to do in their flesh is come to the house of the Lord. Man, I'm hurting. I'm going through something with my family. I'm going through something relationally. I'm hurting. And so the last thing that I want to do is be around other people. They might ask me how I'm doing, and I don't want to have to talk to anyone. And so, so often we run from uh, the house of the Lord. But can I tell you that when you don't feel like going to church, that's when you need it the most. And I'll be the first to tell you that church is filled with broken people and messed up people. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. But can I encourage you that the church, through the word of God, is a place where we can make sense of our hurt. The church is a place where we can make sense and find healing through the hope of the word of God. And so we don't want to run from God. We want to run to the house of the Lord. And so Hezekiah, he says, man, I'm in over my head. I'm already stressed. I'm already out of strength. The only thing that I know how to do is turn to the Lord. See, sometimes God will allow us to hit rock bottom because once we hit rock bottom, the only direction we can look is up. And so here Hezekiah is turning to the Lord. That's number one. Number two is this. We have to recognize God's greatness. We have to recognize his greatness. If we are going to respond in the appropriate way, biblically, when adversity comes, we have to recognize his greatness. Notice verse 15. It says this. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord God. Now, I love how Hezekiah prays. In fact, several months ago, we did a series called Talk to God. And in this series, we, we discovered certain biblical prayer templates uh, that we can use for patterns for prayer. How many of you were here in that series? We talked about prayer patterns. This is a great prayer pattern to pray. Uh, Hezekiah, he prays. Notice how he prays. He prayed before the Lord, verse 15, said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. And I love what Hezekiah is doing here. He is recognizing the greatness of his God. For a moment, this is what he does. Everybody tracking with me today? For a moment, what he does is he takes his eyes off the letter and he puts his eyes on the Lord. So often our struggle is we are concentrating on the letter and we are neglecting the Lord. So often we are focusing on the size of our problems rather than the size of our God. And for a moment, Hezekiah says, I'm going to focus on the Lord and acknowledge his greatness, that he is the God of Israel, that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. See, when you really wrap your mind around how big God is and how great God is, it really puts our problems in perspective. So he's recognizing God's greatness. But I love how he describes the Lord in his prayer as the God that dwells between the cherubims. Well, what does that mean? He says, you are the God of Israel, the God that dwells between the cherubims. Well, this was a reference to an Old Testament piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence would dwell for his people. And he would commune with his people there at this special place. And uh, on the Ark of the Covenant, there was this special spot called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is where God would talk to his people and commune with his people. Well, the mercy seat was located in between the two cherubims. And so when Hezekiah is praying, he is appealing to the mercy of God, the God that dwells between the cherubims, the God that will commune with his people based on his mercy. Now, this is so important because Hezekiah is recognizing something. He is praying to God and making this request not based on his own merit, but based on God's mercy. 
the distinction is critical. Hezekiah does not come before the Lord and say, God, you know what? I've been good to you, and God, I've been serving you, and God, I've been tithing, and I've been coming to church every single week, and so it's about time, God, that you would show up for me. It's about time, God, that you would help me. Uh, No, Hezekiah was not praying on the basis of his merit. He was praying on the basis of God's mercy. God, I know that I messed up. I know that I've sinned. I know that I fall short, but God, I'm so thankful that you love me anyways and that you are merciful. Is anybody thankful today for the mercy of God and for the grace of God? And the Bible says that he is rich in mercy. And the Bible says that he delights in mercy. This is the kind of God that we worship. And so it's not about what we bring to the table and how great we are and we're deserving. It's like the father in the New Testament that was approaching Jesus and he pounded his own chest and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, a sinner recognizes their need for a savior. He said, I need mercy. And so here, Hezekiah is appealing to the greatness of God. And so he turns to the Lord. And he goes to the house of the Lord. He recognizes God's greatness. But here's the third component today. Then what we must do is unload our burden before the Lord. We have to unload our burden. Uh, have you ever asked someone in life, hey, how are you doing? And then they started to really tell you how they were doing. You're like, wow, I was not expecting that. But thank you for sharing that. Just kind of unloaded on me. And uh, sometimes, sometimes my kids will come in, my youngest daughter, Blakely, uh, she'll come in just really emotional and stressed out because her brother or sister are not being kind to her, and she'll just unload all of her burdens before me, right? And she'll come in and she'll say, but Liv didn't let me play with her toy, and then she stepped on my toe, and I'm never playing with Liv ever, ever again. And, and, uh, and I'm trying to calm her down, and she's crying, and, and uh, she's really unloading on me. You know, sometimes the truth is, sometimes we shy away from prayer because we think that our prayers have to be very polished, before we can come to the Lord. Now, I believe that we should approach the Lord reverently, but I believe also we should approach the Lord genuinely, authentically. And what Hezekiah does next in this prayer is he unloads his burden before the Lord. He's gonna pray very authentically, and I want you to see how he does it, starting in verse number 16. It says this, Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. Bow down thine ear and hear as if the Lord couldn't hear already. And then he says, Lord, open your eyes so that you can see as if the Lord couldn't see already. But what Hezekiah is doing here is he is praying passionately. He's saying, Lord, please hear me. Will you please incline your ear? Will you bend down your ear so that you can hear what I'm saying? Lord, will you please open your eyes so that you can see? What he's going to do is unload his burdens before the Lord, and he's praying passionately. In fact, go back to verse number 14 in our text. At the end of verse number 14, when Hezekiah goes to the temple, at the end of the verse, it says this. He went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. What did he spread before the Lord? He spread the letter before the Lord. So you have to picture the scene. Uh, Hezekiah brought the letter with him to church. Uh, He brought his problem with him. He brought the letter with him to the house of the Lord because he wanted to show it uh, to the Lord. It's kind of like, uh, have you ever uh, received a large bill in the mail and you just couldn't believe how much it was? And so you had to just uh, show your spouse the bill and say, look at how much this is. Can you believe we spent this much on our electric bill? Look, look at it right here. You can see it. And uh, am I just speaking from a a personal history? I don't know. And uh, what Hezekiah does is he brings this letter before the Lord and the Bible says he spreads it out. He spreads it out and he says, God, do you see this? This is what I'm facing. This man is blaspheming your name. He, he spreads out his problem before, he's unloading before the Lord. And what he's doing is he is praying specifically and he is willing to face the facts. He's not shying away from the problem that's in front of him. See, sometimes when we pray generically, God, would you just help me today? God, would you be with me today? As if we could avoid the 
all-pervading presence of God. God, be with me. Help me. And we pray generic prayers. What Hezekiah is doing is he's facing the problem. He's facing the facts. In fact, notice how he does it in verse number 17. He's going to address it. Of a truth, verse 17, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. He says, of a truth, God, the king of Assyria is so powerful, he's destroyed other nations. He's acknowledging the facts. He's acknowledging what's taken place. Verse 18, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but they were the work of man's hands. I like how he kind of has a subtle dig there against the gods, uh, the false gods. He's like, they weren't even really real. Uh, Wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. But what Hezekiah is doing is he's acknowledging the facts. See, when we pray, we have to acknowledge what the problem really is. I've been struggling with temptation. I've been struggling with my anger. See, sometimes what we like to do is minimize our own sin. But, you know, when Joseph was tempted with Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 37, he fled and he said, how can I do this great wickedness before God? See, sometimes what we do is we call something that is wicked just a weakness. But he didn't say, how can I do this great weakness before the Lord? He said, how can I do this great wickedness before the Lord? What was he doing? He was facing the facts. He was saying, this is the truth. And Hezekiah was unloading his burdens before the Lord, facing the facts of the situation. And I just want to encourage you today, when the enemy comes and shows up at your doorstep, that the Bible says that you can cast your anxieties, you can cast your burdens on the Lord because he cares for you. And you don't have to hold on to that all in your own strength. You can unload your burdens before the Lord. And this leads us to our next thought today. And that's this. Number four is this. We have to seek God's hand for deliverance. We have to seek God's hand for deliverance. Now, Hezekiah just doesn't come and he doesn't just unload his burdens before the Lord and then just wait. Then he prays and he asks specifically for God to do something. There's a word for this in prayer. The word is supplication. Okay, And what supplication means is this is the portion of our prayer time when we bring a specific request to the Lord. And so I like the order in which Hezekiah prayed. He started with adoration, and then he moved on to supplication. In other words, before giving God your request, give him your reverence. When you approach God in prayer, praise him for who he is in adoration, and then move on to the supplication. And watch his specific request. Everybody still with me today? Watch the request in verse 19. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, I beg thee, save thou us out of his hand. He's saying, Lord, I'm praying that you would deliver us. Would you save us? God, uh, we don't want to do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. And so he is praying specifically that God would deliver him. You know, I was reading this week in our culture, there's something fascinating. There's a trend uh, right now, especially on uh, social media platforms and TikTok and things like this. Uh, There's a trend called manifesting. How many of you have ever seen this manifesting, right? And essentially manifesting is I'm going to speak my truth into the universe. And if I believe it and speak it long enough, then it will come to fruition. And so manifesting is the idea if I just say, I'm, I'm going to be a millionaire. 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 And if I say that long enough and I believe it and speak it into the universe, then it will come to pass. Okay, that's, that's what manifesting is. In fact, there was an Instagram post. I think we have a picture. Of, of this post. Uh, it says, your energy is clean. All your blocks are removed. $20,000 is about to land in your hand. All you have to do is affirm yes. And so many people in the comments, yes, yes. How many of you would say yes to that today? Yes. 20 grand. Just got to believe and speak it. But, but here's why I bring this up. And I think it's fascinating because our culture today is trying to reinvent prayer. They, they want to have a strong belief system but they want to remove God from the equation. So I'm going to speak it. I'm going to believe it. 
but I'm not going to speak it to God. But the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, and there's that word supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I don't know about you, I don't want to just speak to the universe. I want to speak to the God that created the universe, the God that created the heavens and the earth. By the way, isn't that amazing that the God that created the heavens and the earth, he longs to hear from you, and he desires to hear from us? And so uh, here we see that Hezekiah, he is, he is praying, and he's giving this specific request, God, would you save me? And, and, and the practical application question that I would give you today is, what in your life are you specifically praying and asking God for? Not in generalities. We know as a church, we are praying for a building. And we want to pray and let our requests be made known unto the Lord. That's why in the lobby, we still have a board with magnets on it that says FFTF. That stands for faith for the future. And every single one of those magnets represents a prayer from God's people for a future building. Can I encourage you today on your way out to say a prayer for the future building of Rock Hill Church and put a magnet on the board? Because God delights to hear in the prayers of his people. And so he's praying uh, with, with uh, specific needs and specific requests. And so what are you specifically asking God for? Whether it's a financial need, a physical need, a relational need. We all ought to have a prayer list where we're just not praying in generalities, but specifically uh, we're bringing our needs before the Lord. And this leads us to our last, fifth and final thought today. Number five is this. We have to treasure the glory of God. Treasure his glory. And I love how Hezekiah concludes this prayer because it shows us what this is really all about. I want you to see it in verse number 19. It says this. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand. God, would you save us? That's the need. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. And so the first part of that verse is the need. The second part of that verse is the goal. The need is, God, would you save us from this enemy? The goal was so that God's name would be magnified. What was Hezekiah teaching and demonstrating? That it wasn't about him. It was all about the glory of God. He was saying, God, we are praying for victory, not so that we can be famous, not so that we can seem so strong and victorious. God, we are praying for victory so that your name would be magnified amongst the nations. You will never experience all that God wants you to experience if you are more concerned with your glory than you are with God's glory. Because we were created not for our own glory. We were created to give glory to God and to God alone. And so if adversity arrives at our doorstep and we are the recipients of bad news, we have to treasure his glory and recognize, okay, this is painful, this hurts, but I recognize this really isn't about me. How can I give God the glory in this situation? How can I magnify his name? And so Hezekiah, he prays this prayer. He prays this beautiful prayer. I would encourage you, keep this section in your Bible highlighted and you can use this the next time you're struggling with what to pray. Use this as a template when you pray. He prays this and then he waits. And he's still surrounded by the enemy and he's wondering what's gonna happen. And then one day, Hezekiah receives another letter. He's checking the mail and he's going through it and he receives a new letter, and I don't know what his emotion was, but maybe he was like, oh, here we go again. How many of you have ever been in a conflict with someone and you saw that they texted you or an email and you're like, oh, I don't even know if I wanna open that. Never been there before? Hezekiah's like, great, another letter. And he opens it up, and this time, the letter is not from Sennacherib, 
This time the letter is from his friend, Isaiah. And Isaiah is writing him, not a discouraging letter, but an encouraging letter. And I want you to read, and I want you to hear what this letter has to say. It's verse number 20 of our text today, if you have your Bible open. It says this, Then Isaiah, remember this is God's prophet, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Aren't you so thankful today that we worship a God who hears and answers our prayers? Isaiah says, I have some good news for you, Hezekiah. Uh, God has heard your prayer. The Bible says in 1 John chapter number 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so the Lord hears Hezekiah's prayer. And he goes on in this letter. The letter continues on from Isaiah. And God gives him a powerful reminder of his sovereignty, that he's in control. And at the end of the letter, he guarantees a victory. Notice the end of the letter, all the way down to verse number 33. If you have your Bible open, this is the end of Isaiah's letter back to Hezekiah. It says, by the way that he came, the same shall he return, and he shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. And so God says, Hezekiah, because you've trusted in me, Sennacherib is not even going to set foot into Judah. He says, I'm going to defend this city. I'm going to protect Judah. Verse 34, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And so God promised the victory. Now, I want us to see what this is all about. I want us to see, notice the five points today. Turn to the Lord, recognize his greatness, unload the burden before him, seek God's hand for deliverance and treasure his glory. And this is what trust looks like. When we turn to the Lord, when we recognize his greatness, unload our burdens before him, this is what trust truly looks like. I'm not gonna lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. And so the only question today is, are you trusting in the Lord? Or are we trusting in ourselves, our education, our experiences, the government? Who or what are we trusting in? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation comes by faith through grace. Trust. If you believe, believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And so today, if you're in this 10 o'clock service and you've never trusted in the Lord, if you're watching online, you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, then today can be the day of salvation for you. Because please don't miss this. Hezekiah was a good king, but he was a temporary king. Hezekiah points us ultimately to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the eternal King, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he will never leave us and never forsake us. And we can trust in him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.